Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast Season 2. We have made it this far. It is great to be back with you. Um, As I said at the end of Season 1, every year I take a few months and um, just kind of regroup, renew, rest. Uh, People ask me every year, like, what, what do you do uh, in the summer months, and I, they ask because I go off the grid for a while each year. So that means no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't preach at Denver Community Church for several weeks. Uh, I don't have availability for meetings. In other words, I um, I vaporize. I disappear for a while. And during that time each year, what I do is I spend time working on the upcoming year, which in this case is 2019. And so I work to lay out um, every week of our teaching calendar for 2019, all 52 weekends. Um, I work on some side projects. I catch up on reading books that have been on my shelf for too long. And of course, in that time, I take vacation with my family in Southern California, the second best place in the United States, a close second behind Denver, in my opinion. So I'm, uh, I'm really grateful Uh, every year that I'm given this time to do that. Uh, As I often say, quoting the Irish theologian Bono, it's hard to listen while you preach. And so the time off to rest, to listen, to create, to learn, to grow, uh, it is priceless. But here we are now. I am back on the grid, and you uh, are listening, and I'm thrilled for what we have in store for season two already. The guests that we already have lined up, uh, the topics we will cover uh, and explore, the questions that you keep asking. And by the way, um, please keep sending questions on. A lot of the content and materials is a response to the questions um, that I'm getting. So you can email me at Michael, M I C H A E L at michael-hidalgo.com. Hidalgo is H-I-D-A-L-G-O. And I love interacting with you over email and getting those questions, so please keep sending them on. Uh, Along with that, there's a few things uh, I'm working on in addition to the podcast, and uh, I cannot wait to share those with you along the way in season two. And I'm hoping that that just creates a little bit of curiosity and maybe some suspense Uh, But we'll talk about that all in good time. For today, however, we are set to go with episode 21, the first episode of season two. And together, uh, I want to consider the deep interconnectedness of every single square inch of everything in the universe and, and what that can teach us about being a healing presence as people in the midst of a time in which people seem so divided along so many lines and in the midst of a time where we seem to have lost the ability to disagree um, while at the same time lending dignity to those with whom we disagree. Uh, I want to talk about how we can honor and respect one another no matter where we are in our own processes. So as a way of moving into that, let me first make the observation of how many of us uh, are binary. We see only two options, uh, two competing ways of thinking. We presume that life is a series of choices and the choices are limited to this or that. And we do this in all sorts of ways, which we will talk about in just a bit. Um, But what's emerging in addition 
to this binary way of thinking. What's emerging in our world today in the midst of this or that thinking is people who are comfortable and people who seem to reflect a preference for not only binary thinking, but for polarizing rhetoric in the midst of binary thinking. It's not just that we are divided into this or that. It's how deep and wide the chasm is that separates us, a chasm that continues to grow in width and in depth because of the extreme way we approach issues and conversations and our theology and definitely our politics. So with that in mind, let's jump in. Uh, let's jump in and talk about the 2016 presidential election. <laughs> I can almost hear you, this this sigh and groan of like, no, please, please not that, anything but that. Oh yes, the 2016 presidential election. And I want to start by saying, I don't believe that that election is or was the cause of the division that we're experiencing right now in so many sectors of our society. I think it exposed a divide that has long lived in the hearts and minds of people. Uh, The two candidates from the major parties represented such divergent viewpoints and and attitudes, so much so that it produced new labels that we now identify ourselves with or we identify others with these labels. The first label, Trump voter. He's a Trump voter. In, In so many conversations, I would hear people say things like, yeah, I have, I have Trump voters in my family. This is now a label we put on human beings. And at times, people would say this in such a way that it made it clear uh, being a Trump voter was definitely not a good thing. Uh, on the other hand, I have a friend who proudly like, says, like, well, I'm a Trump voter. I mean, this is his like this is one of his identities. This is a way of labeling himself. And it seems to be for him, his way of telling people, like, well, this is what I'm about when it comes to the world of politics. And so you have like, oh, he's a Trump voter. And then you have, oh, I'm a Trump voter. These two, like t- two ways. And, and so you have like, oh, he's a Trump voter. And then I'm a Trump voter. And, and it's it's a label that has come out of this process that our country engaged in in 2016. The other label I've heard, and it's not uh, around as much because she's not around as much, is um, a Hillary supporter. And it works the same way with this one. I know people who are concerned with their friends or their siblings or their children who would or could support someone like her. Uh, you know, oh, she's a criminal, she's corrupt, she's for abortion, what, what, all the labels and reasons they put Hillary supporter. And it's just this idea like you cannot really still be a Hillary supporter. And in the same way, um, I, I saw after the election that there was a hashtag that came up on Instagram uh, and Facebook and Twitter that was like hashtag I'm still with her. And it was a way of not only identifying one's opposition to uh, our newly elected president, but a way of identifying this is who I am. I'm a Hillary supporter. And I start with this observation because while there have been other presidential races that have been hotly contested, I do not recall 
people identifying themselves as an Obama voter uh, with such a label, or like, oh, you know, she's a Romney supporter. Um, and it was not given with the same degree of intensity that we have today. And I think this sharp divide points toward the reality that many have boiled down their thinking to two sides, to two ways of thinking. Um, I have a friend in Michigan who did not vote for Donald Trump, and he was in conversation with somebody, and he said something, well, I didn't vote for President Trump. And the immediate response was, oh, so you voted for Hillary? Because there was no one else on the the ballot? No, it's because this is the way we often think. We're binary. It's this or that. It's Trump or Clinton. It has to be one or the other. But the assumption that so many people had in their head is if it's not him, it's her. And if it's not her, it's him. It is this or that, Trump or Hillary, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal. When we have devolved into this way of thinking to the extent that we can barely imagine that there could be a third way. And this kind of dualistic thinking of this or that, you begin to see it in all sorts of places. I mean, think about the presumptive one-liners that people throw around um, when talking about people with whom they disagree. Uh, In 2017, our church moved toward full inclusion for our LGBT or with our LGBTQ friends, um, saying that they could uh, serve in any and every level of leadership uh, within our church and that uh, we we were opening that door and uh, we were so grateful for what it's done in our lives and done in the life of our church and the grace and the love that we are shown uh, by the LGBTQ community. It was just amazing. And, and in the midst of this, was the amount of emails and sometimes the letters that were like handwritten that were sent to me in particular. And there was a common one-liner that it was like a blanket accusation that seemed to be almost in all of these, um, many of which were unkind emails. Some of them were people that were genuinely concerned. Um, And it was this, quote, you've thrown the Bible away, end quote. This is the one-liner. You, as a pastor, um, you have supported same-sex relationships, and therefore, you have thrown the Bible away. And the assumption in this kind of statement says this, uh, you know, I read the Bible in such a way that leads me to believe same-sex relationships are wrong and sinful. You, on the other hand, you support same-sex relationships. Therefore, you have thrown the Bible away. It's not I disagree with your interpretation. It is, my interpretation is correct. You, therefore, are totally and completely wrong. That's what's embedded in an accusation like this. It's the assumption that not only is this person the one reading the Bible correctly, but that there is only one possible way of reading the Bible. It is this or that. And since I have different convictions, since I've come to different conclusions, since I might interpret the Bible a bit differently, in their mind, I have thrown the Bible away 
while they have practiced fidelity to what they believe are the true teachings clearly addressed in the Bible. It cannot be that we've come to different conclusions based on all sorts of factors and all sorts of reasons. It's, no, it's this or that. And by the way, I've seen this cut the other way too in the same conversation. I heard someone not long ago who's an ally to the LGBTQ community um, say about people who would say, I, I can't get on with same-sex marriage. I can't get on with same-sex relationships. He said about people like that, if you do not believe and support same-sex marriage, your belief is responsible for killing my friends. In uh, his comment, referred to research that shows that LGBTQ teens who grew up within a religious tradition that excludes people, um, excludes anyone from the LGBTQ community, that those teenagers are eight times more likely to commit suicide. So in his mind, any belief that opposes his is tantamount to murder. It is this or that. You either support it and save lives, you either oppose it and you're responsible for killing them. There's no regard for nuance, for backstory, for convictions, for people on a journey. It's saving lives or it's killing lives. And these comments, by the way, and these attitudes, what I'm noticing is they're not the exception. If anything, they've become the new normal. Whatever your conviction around same-sex relationships, approaching those with whom you disagree in this manner is not only arrogant, it does nothing to move constructive dialogue down the road. It does nothing to bring needed understanding and healing to people in all places with regard to this conversation. And it actually, what I've noticed is it causes a lot of people not to say anything because they don't want to jump into the middle of a conversation where they're being accused of murder. They don't want to jump into the middle of a conversation where they're being accused of throwing the Bible away because A, they still love the Bible and B, they don't see themselves in a way where they're going, I'm adding to this. They're in process just like everybody else. And there's all sorts of things ignored about how we respond to love, care for, and treat the LGBTQ community. And so they're being boiled down to just one basic conviction. And so we take these two ideas, these two opposing viewpoints, and it's this or that. So I wonder, like, why is it we cannot create constructive dialogue? Why is it that we cannot state our opinion and convictions and believe them and hold on to them without having to demonize somebody who thinks differently than us? I mean, some friends of mine recently told me of a conversation they had with a couple who's expecting a baby boy, and the conversation was about circumcision. And so this couple said, we're not going to circumcise our son. Fine. You're choosing not to circumcise your boy. Great, good for you, well done, whatever. It does, like, good. And, but it didn't stop there. They got, like, super passionate about this. And so they began to talk about people who choose to circumcise their kids. They said, this is genital mutilation. And I realized, like, this is an anecdotal story, okay? But, I mean, this is a symptom of the larger problem. Like, we can't talk about foreskin without insulting someone who has a different viewpoint. When we get to that place, um, that's a pretty good indicator that we, we definitely have a problem. 
that because we boil conversations and issues and people and all sorts of things down to this or that, we have chosen to see only what we want. We, we pick up only the things that suit us, and we only listen to and read articles that support our thinking and our previously held beliefs. And in doing so, we often ignore the complexity and the depth and the nuance that exists in all kinds of things, and we practice an ignorant form of reductionism, this or that. And what's interesting, if I were to ask you why you believe the things that you do, what factors played into it, what books you read, what relationships you've had that led you to think this way, what your faith background and tradition have been, you would be honored that I would dig into all of the complexity that has led you to think the way that you do. But we don't do this with other people. We just, we're ignorant. We're not curious. We make blanket assumptions. We deliver one-liners. We say it's this or that. Now, one of the reasons that this is such an important thing for us to stop and consider and reflect on is because much of the evil and the oppression and the exploitation in our world today exists because of thinking it's this or that. A friend of mine once defined sin as, um, he said, oh, sin, it's a rupture in relationship. And I, I thought about it, I'm like, that's about as simple uh, and yet as thorough a definition of sin as I've ever heard. Sin is taking things apart. Sin is taking the whole and breaking it apart into different parts. It's disconnecting what was previously connected. I mean, think about the garden. What happens? What's the, what's the, what's the story being told there? Sin comes into the world. The man and the woman now experience separation from one another. They're disconnected, and they're disconnected from God. What was once joined together is now blown apart. It's disconnecting that which was previously connected. It's the disintegration of what was previously integrated. It's putting the word or in place of the word and. It's fragmentation instead of shalom, which means peace or wholeness. And this is what we are called to speak toward is peace, wholeness, integration, connection. And this is what is in need of forgiveness and healing in our own lives and in our world. And it's both within us and in the world that we have made for ourselves. And it may help us to understand that while we've gone about creating this in our world, the universe is telling a different story. The universe seems to prefer, not to prefer the word or, rather the universe prefers the word and. The universe teaches us that it's about this and that, not this or that. Here's something I've been learning and reading about lately um, that may be helpful to think about this. It's, a, it's something called, it's an idea, theory called holarchy or maybe a way of looking at the world, holarchy. And this word talks about how each part or, uh, or holon in the universe is both a whole and a part. So for example, consider atoms. An atom is a whole atom unto itself. So you have the protons, you have the neutrons, they make up the nucleus, and then you have the electrons that orbit around the nucleus, and that's an atom. It's a whole atom. And yet, an atom 
is whole, but the atom is made up of parts. It's made up of the proton as a particle. It's made up of the neutron. It's made up of the electron. And there's even subatomic particles that make those things up. But when you look at an atom, though it's made up of parts, you don't say, oh, that is a proton and a neutron and uh, an electron. You say, no, that's an atom. It's a whole atom made up of parts. And an atom, not only is it a whole made up of parts, but it's also a part because an atom makes up a molecule. And a molecules are made up of atoms. And so you look at a molecule and say it's a whole molecule, but the molecule is made up of, of the parts of the atoms, which are made up of the parts of the, the subatomic particles. So it means molecules are a whole, but they're made up of parts. And this is true at every level of existence, that we can always break things down into smaller and smaller parts. And every time we find a new part, what we find is something that is whole, but a part. And in its wholeness, it's made up of several different kinds of parts. Cells are a whole. They're made up of parts. It's not that they are a part or a whole. They are both a part and a whole. This is the, the idea, by the way, that's in the letter written to the church in Corinth. The writer of the letter is speaking to them about, a div about division in the church and how people are being excluded and some people are being included and how there's food for some but not for all. And he says, just as a body, though one, or just as a body, though whole, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. There is the whole and there are the parts. The point the author is making is found in his following argument. He continues and says, if the foot should say, uh, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He points out there are parts which are whole unto themselves. An ear is a whole ear, but together an ear along with all the other parts make up the whole. They are not a part or a whole. They are a part and a whole. And I bring this up because I wonder how many times do we see things not as a part and a whole, but only as a part? We don't see how or why it belongs or consider why this person, that viewpoint, this way of thinking or believing belongs. Rather, we see one part and we immediately say, I don't want that. Every time we do this, the impact is felt by the whole. Every time we cut off a part, the whole body feels it. And we do this, by the way, we do it in ourselves and we do this in the lives of community. We do it to others. Think, think about ourselves first. Think about those who, or maybe it's even you, and in some ways I, I see this in myself, that when it comes to our faith tradition, for example, um, the faith tradition in which they were raised, they live in total and abject rejection toward all of it. So they would say, like, I grew up, whatever, Baptist, Presbyterian, Evangelical, Reformed, whatever you want to, I am blank. I grew up blank, um, but I'm not that anymore. So I'm not anymore. And I see this constantly 
um, specifically when people talk about their faith tradition. They, they, they don't just throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. They throw out the tub that the water was in, and then they burn down the whole bathroom. And they bulldoze the house that the bathroom was in. Not, not long ago, I was sitting around with a group of friends, and one of them shared a thought about a particular uh, part of Scripture, a particular text. And the, the insight was like, I, I had never even considered it. No one around the table had considered it. We were all mind-blown. We were like, this is brilliant. This is genius. This is great. And then my friend who shared the insight said, yeah, I read that this morning in a book by such and such author. And everyone kind of froze because the author trends more conservative than many of the, my friends who were sitting around the table. And several of them immediately said things like, why would you ever read anything by him? I hope you're not quoting him. You didn't put that on your blog, did you? Or anything, like all these attitudes. And it was a cascade of insults directed toward this author and those of his ilk. And the belief is, well, that's not me whatsoever anymore. But here's the deal. It actually still is a part of the whole. Because whatever my friends may feel about that particular author, whatever they may feel about his particular tribe, which all of them, by the way, used to be a part of, um, it, it is a part of their whole story. Which is to say, we cannot cut those parts of us off as much as we want to believe that we could, as much as we'd like to think that we can. That will always be a part of our story. Growing up in a fundamentalist world, Christian world as I did, will always be a part of my story. I will never be able to cut that part off. It will always be for me a reference point, a place where I began my journey. And so I will forever measure myself against that. It will always be a part of the whole. And maybe this resonates with you. You, you may find yourself talking about like who you are not. You may be someone who talks about what you don't believe. You may be someone who talks about the authors that you won't read anymore. And like my friend's you have this idea that that's not you. And so there's this kind of like way of cutting it off. But perhaps a next step would simply be to spend time revisiting your past. It would be to revisit that part of your story that you may wish was actually not there. Because here's what I know. We do have a choice when it comes to those parts that we would rather not have in our past. We do have a choice with regard to the part of the whole. One choice is to live in rejection of it, to cut it off, to pretend like it's not there, which what I have found is when I live in rejection of, uh, of things in my past that I w wish weren't there, and by the way, even the really hard, messy, dark wounds, the way I've wounded others, when I, when I live in rejection of that, what I've learned is that I turn bitter. Uh, what I've learned is that it has a holistic effect on the way that I exist and move and live in this world, and it's not positive. It's a very negative effect. Um, so we, we can do that. We can live in rejection of it, or we can return to that part of our story, and we can make peace with it. The word peace, shalom, means wholeness. So we can return to that part of our story to figure out 
How is this going to fit into the whole? We can explore it to see what it might offer us. Uh, Father Richard Rohr says that we should never um, let go of our pain until we are sure it's taught us all we need to learn. We, we need to go back and explore it and say, what can this teach me? What might it offer me? How do I incorporate this into the whole? To see like, from that part of your whole story, that, like, what can you include from that as you move forward? And when we can make that kind of peace with our past, when we can make that kind of peace with our tribe of origin, when we can make that kind of peace with the family um, that, that we grew up around, the friends that we grew up around, the experiences that we have, we actually become more the kind of person that is living in peace because we become more whole. And now we can talk about our past, not as I'm not that. We can say, oh yeah, this is who I am. It's all a part of the larger story. It's all a part of who I've always been. We become whole. No longer are we this or that. We're this and that. We do this, by the way, this this or that. We, we do this with others too, or we kind of cut off apart and think somehow it's not going to affect the whole. We do this with individuals. Um, we use one part of who they are, and we, we hold that one part to describe the whole of that person. We talked about this earlier. We, you know, they're a Trump voter. As though that one part of them, corresponding directly to one decision they made in November 2016, describes the whole of who they are. Oh, you know, she's a Hillary supporter. Okay. But what's your point? Uh, you're telling me who she voted for? But we don't, we don't think of it that way. We take this part of them and we make it the whole. So we take one part of that person that we find to be objectionable and we use that one part of assuming the worst about all of that person, about who they are in their entirety. And not only do we assume the worst about them, but at another level, when we cut another person down to shreds, we ultimately add to the disintegration that is meant to exist within the human community, and we actually add to the disintegration or chaos that exists in our universe. One of the reasons I think it's so hurtful and painful to experience a break in relationship is because this is not the direction that we are meant to move. We are meant to move toward unity. This is what the writer to the letter in the church in Ephesus says when he says that all things are being brought together in unity into the Christ. This idea that we're supposed to be moving together, and so when we see these divisions, when we take a part of somebody and remove it from the whole, when we tear them to shreds, when we call them names, this is not what is happening in the very fabric of our universe that is held together and enlivened and animated by the life of God. And so we oftentimes miss all of that. And so we find our tribe, we find those who think like us, we find those who act like us or believe like us, who worship our God, who even agree on how we should define the word God. And we tell ourselves, okay, we're good here. And we have the singular truth, and we are totally and completely right. All the while, we again have taken a part away from the whole. 
Because I'm sorry, no matter how big your tribe is, and let's be honest, most of our tribes are not that big, our tribes were only a small part of the whole human community. We're only a small part of the entire human population. And so when we secede in any way, shape, or form, when we demonize another group and go on the attack, when we talk about them as though they have no part with us, we begin and we add to the process of disintegration. We are like an ear saying, well, I'm not a part of the body. Yes, you are because you're human. Yes, you are because you're made up of atoms and molecules and cells like every other living being. Or we're like a molecule saying, we will no longer be part of the universe. Well, that's the most ridiculous thing you could even begin to think about because then the universe pretty much wouldn't exist. But this is what we're doing when we take a part of somebody and we use it to determine their whole. We are all... Every single one of us, we are a part and a whole. All of us have the breath of the divine spirit in our lungs. We all have the gift of today. We all receive from God who is the source of all things. Just as Jesus said, God causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This suggests that God holds all of us, not just part of us, all of us in his arms wide open embrace. You you see, maybe there are people in your life that you have cut off, thrown out. By the way, let me just add this before I go any further. If you are listening and you've been a part of an abusive relationship, maybe you've made your way out of a toxic relationship, there's someone who continually wounds you. I want to point out very clearly that when you liberate yourself from that person, when you walk away from that person, you are doing that so that you can be whole. That person has continued to tear you apart. So for you to move back toward wholeness, sometimes we need to leave things behind. So when I talk about how we might be someone who's cut someone off or thrown someone out, please do not hear me saying, or please do not see me ignoring that there are times where it is better for our own wholeness in our wholeness of our, in our life and in our world to say, I cannot, cannot be in a relationship with you anymore. So keep that in mind. But I do want to talk to those of us who, because of a disagreement, who, because of an argument, who, because of beliefs, have thrown other people out, who have cut them off. Uh, I want to ask, who are those people? Who are those that you have tossed out believing that you don't need them? How do you seek the peace between the two of you? How do you seek wholeness, renewal between the two of you? And that, by the way, that's not getting them to believe the things that you believe. Like oftentimes people will come to me and talk about some relationship they're in and they'll say, well, I'm just trying to figure out how to talk to my dad. I'm trying to figure out how to talk to my brother about why I believe blank. And and what's right under the surface there is I need to convince them that I'm right. So when I talk about seeking the peace, this is not getting people to agree with you, but it's actually a willingness to say, how do I love them deeply and embrace them right where they are? And I will tell you this, it is not easy. This process of integration, this process of becoming whole, it's incredibly difficult and takes a tremendous amount of courage. It means choosing this and that, saying that there's a part and a whole. 
this conversation, this thinking about this or that, this part or the whole versus this and that and the part and the whole, it's been rolling around in my head a lot lately, particularly with regard to conversations I've had with many people regarding what I would say are like the most pressing issues of our day, um, racial equity, immigration, education, LGBTQ rights, and, and I mean, the list is long. And, and within this conversation, what I've noticed is some only want to talk about these real issues and problems at a systemic level. Now, this is a conversation we have to continue to have. These are important conversations. But what I've witnessed is that when we're having these conversations, it's often little of any talk about the need for inner transformation. So it's all systemic. It's the problems always out there. The people who are talking about it rarely see themselves as a part of the problem. And what, I, what, what is missing is the need to talk about like where do we need to as individuals repent? What inner transformation needs to happen? What renewal needs to grow in our hearts? It remains instead at the level of the structural, the outward, and the problems out there somewhere. And then you have others in, re, in these conversations, and they come off, quite honestly, as dismissive of some of the issues that I've just named. And on the, their grounds, and the reason they're saying this is that they're saying, well, these are not issues of the gospel. These are not issues of the good news. One um, nationally known and respected preacher has been going off about this lately. Yes, social issues are not what the church is called to. Uh, and what he means is that he sees the gospel limited to individual people who need to be reconciled to God, period, end of story. And so he would say uh, the, the individual's relationship with God, that is what is central. The rest is periphery and not what the church is called to be about. Um, there's another nationally known pre um, preacher who was saying like social issues are just a distraction from the gospel. It's about the individual. We need to get them fixed up. We need to get rid of sin in people's hearts. And so this limits the focus of the, what they say is the gospel to only the individual. And it places ourself outside of a larger story. So one focuses on one piece, ignores the individual to some extent. The other looks at the larger piece, it ignores the individual to some extent. So both of these extremes are this or that. One focuses on the systemic or the larger piece to the near exclusion of the individual, and the other focuses on the individual to the near exclusion of the systemic realities. One lacks personal responsibility, the other lacks corporate responsibility. But here's the deal, both are incomplete. Both are incomplete because they're only a part of the whole. And what we've missed is that we fail to see how they are in relation to one another, how they are relative to each other, how they are connected, that it's both systemic and individual. There are systemic and structural evils in our world. And as individuals, we live and move at different levels of brokenness. And so we must address the systemic, or as Walter Wink refers to them, the principalities in powers, believing they too are in need of redemption. And we must address our brokenness and our sin and our need for love and grace and redemption, all ingredients needed to put us back together. We need both 
and not either or. I'm so happy that the church did not hear the message that social issues are a distraction in the middle of the 19th century when the church began to speak out against slavery. I'm so thrilled that many in the church had courage to speak up and speak out about civil rights and segregation and the evil that existed in the hearts, not only of individuals, but of this nation with regard to racism and demanded and called upon leaders to give people their rights regardless of their color. That came from the church. I'm really glad they didn't ignore that. And I also want to point out that the good news is that within the Christian tradition that addressed those social issues is that it speaks toward both the systemic and the personal. And anytime we focus on one or the other, all we do is weaken both. I'm so glad the church has not been those who've not seen social issues as periphery. But we cannot miss that those who have led with the greatest depth and strength and conviction are those who have done intensive inner work and experienced great heart-level transformation within themselves. And that's why they can speak out against and lead change in the direction of the systemic evils in our world. We cannot sustain the important work to which we are called as humans with any real lasting effort without there being a continued renewal within us as individuals. And if we are experiencing that real inner transformation, we will be moved to address the injustice in our world and will seek to serve and act and live in such a way as to see those wrongs made right. We see this kind of inner transformation show through people like Oscar Romero, Desmond Tutu, Dorothy Day, Martin Luther King Jr. They had deep inner transformation that led them to act and speak and live in such a way as to make the social wrongs right in our world. Jesus, by the way, Jesus did this. I mean, Jesus did not get himself killed because he didn't wash his hands before he ate or because he healed somebody on Sabbath. Jesus did not get killed for breaking some of the rules and upsetting some really strict religious people. There were tons of people breaking the rules in Jesus' day. No, Jesus, he lived in the prophetic tradition, which meant that he challenged the powers. And you don't challenge systems of power and injustice and oppression without getting yourself killed or, at the very least, having hate mail show up on your doorstep and getting nasty comments made about you on Facebook. Jesus spoke at the level of individual need for repentance and healing and wholeness. Jesus saw people and looked them in the eye and engaged individuals. And Jesus spoke against the structural evils of exploitation and exclusion. It was not for him systemic or personal. It was systemic and personal. They were both a part of the whole, they were and they are connected and related. John Philip Newell, in his uh, book, A New Harmony, which by the way, is completely and totally worth reading. John Philip Newell, A New Harmony. Read it and read it slowly. Uh, He says that part of Einstein's genius was his development of the theory of what we now call the general theory of relativity, in which Einstein enabled us to see everything exists in relationship. 
everything in the universe is to be understood in relation to, relative to everything else. Everything is connected. Everything is integrated. Everything is a part and a whole that we're all related because the same Christ is holding this all together. It's not this or that. It's this and that. So what are some questions? What are some next steps as we conclude? Well, well, first, where are the places in your life, your story, that you need to make peace with? Because if we've not done work on ourselves, if we've not taken time and made effort toward integrating that parts of our story that maybe we wish didn't exist, and we've not made efforts to become a more whole and healed human being, we will always struggle to move toward health in our relationships, especially relationships with those um, that we disagree with. And so what parts of your story need to be addressed so that you can become more whole? A second question, second step, is uh, who are the people that you find yourself labeling? And you do it without even thinking. Uh, and, and when you label them, you use a part of them as a way of describing them as a whole. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do. Um, write down their names. Maybe right now, pick up your phone. Not if you're driving. Leave it down if you're driving. If you're walking or if you're at home, but pick up your phone and go to the, like wherever the notes are and start writing down their names. And then write down what you know about them, other parts of who they are. What, what's their personality like? Uh, what are the things that they're interested in? R write down some, some of those things and do all that you can to create a whole and complete picture of who they are as human beings. And, and what we will see is that this one part of them, Trump voter, Hillary supporter, uh, an ally to the LGBTQ community, whatever you want to put in there, that, that it's, it really is just a part of what that contributes to the whole of who they are. I'm betting that if you do this, you will see them as more human than ever. And then third, I would say this, what are the spaces and the places in our world, uh, in your relationships, in your neighborhood, workplace, school, wherever you are, where you see this or that thinking rather than this and that thinking? I'm going to bet you won't have to think long about this one. And, and so the question is, how can you move into those places and sit with people in all different parts of the continuum to simply listen to them, to learn from them, to hear from them, to be present with them? And I bring this up because when we begin hearing the stories from divergent viewpoints, when we begin hearing people express why they believe what they believe, we get a better picture of the whole and we begin to understand these individuals in this place as a part of the larger story of that place because all the stories and experiences and perspectives are only one part of the larger whole. It's, this, it's the part and the whole. And when we, when we can gain this kind of perspective, what happens is that we grow, we learn, and we can better participate in the healing and in the wholeness that all of us need. And maybe, just maybe, little by little, 
we will see the chasm that separates us no longer continue to grow. But maybe if we begin taking these small steps, that because of a new and healthier and more helpful way of seeing and speaking and listening, because of our becoming more whole and healed, because of a renewed way of approaching issues and conversations in our theology and even our politics, we actually might see that chasm narrow. Because no longer will it be this or that, but we might have eyes to see what the universe has been telling us all along. Say it with me. It's this and that. And so no, this episode is only one part of the whole season, season two of Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you for joining with us again. On our next episode, we will be with Jonathan Merritt, and we will talk about his new book titled Learning to Speak God from Scratch, and I cannot wait for you to learn about that book and hear from him. But until then, as always, much love and peace be with you.